Between the world's friends, and I am your host, Aaron Duffy Oswald. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Just Like Magic. Today's guest is Angie Miller. She is an animist, a movement which practicing connection to spirit through the body. I love that. And Angie teaches flexibility and fitness as well as meditation, energy and breath work. She is a dream worker, an intuitive, a card reader, and a serious badass all around you guys. Angie is fantastic. And I'm so happy to have her on the program today. Welcome, Angie. Hi, how are you? I'm feeling fabulous, so I'm just thrilled to to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I am ecstatic, and I've admired you for a long time, but the world of social media is so funny. It feels almost intimidating or maybe a little awkward to reach out to people and be like, oh my gosh, I just love what you do, but not be weird. There's a lot of weirdness on social (laughs) media too, but I'm so glad to have connected with you. Likewise. Thank you. That's very flattering. And I concur. It's mixed. I I always say, I really hope that we can use this technology as elegantly as possible because we really do pay quite a dear price for it. And I'm really excited to be able to broach this subject with you. So we are, we're going to talk about magic today and we're going to talk about our practices with that and what we want to share with the listeners in terms of maybe even some takeaways that they might be able to use on their own time after listening. I love this idea of being a movement witch. Um, Mm. I think so often the magic gets practiced from the neck up in many ways. (laughs) Yes. And we do need to be heady about it. There's a lot to learn, study, reclaim. But I just, I think that the point of power is in the body. And I'm really excited to dive into that topic. Give us a little bit of your story of how you found yourself in the world of being a magical practitioner. Oh, thank you so much. It's one of those things that I think I've been, and I don't think I'm unique here. I've been for a long time, someone who witnesses magic and feels magic and might be doing magical things, but never really, maybe I thought it like the word witch was too big or claiming that as magic felt, I don't know, maybe that I wasn't enough or that it, I'd imprinted what society or movies had given me the idea of magic being. But there were like, I think about being a child and having moments and experiences back then. And it wasn't ever a thing that I thought that magic was separate from me. That I, I had an awareness maybe that I might have been experiencing things in a way that other people were not. And so there is that piece, but there, like it, it always felt natural to me to be here where I am. I grew up in Utah and my parents are both immigrants. And so we were all kind of by ourselves in our little bubble. We had our community, our church community. I grew up religious. I was a Mormon is what people usually call it, but LDS if you're still in the church. So that informs a lot of the way that I look through the world, like the the way that I walk through is being the the first, the eldest child of immigrants and trying to connect with my culture and my sense of self through having assimilated into American culture and also helping kind of mother my, my four siblings. It sounds like to me that there has been a through line, like you, you were able to retain that connection, that connective tether to source or magic or whatever you want to call it that it wasn't like you had to make a return to that but that's been able to be something that you've maintained and in many ways owing to your sense of community and the responsibility you felt to your community 
and your story as an immigrant to the United States? Yeah, I would say that there there is definitely that through line. I think for me, it's always been feeling and understanding it, but not having the words to describe it. And I, I feel like that's what we tell kids all the time. Use your words. Tell me mm-hmm. what you're feeling with your words. And what child doesn't have the words to say what they're feeling yet, or maybe they explain it very simply. But yeah, it was always a matter of like, how can I externalize this thing that I feel this connection and these these things that I'm witnessing? I had an interesting experience where it took me a while to understand that I had maintained the through line. A lot of the messaging I was hearing at a certain point was about this reclamation process. And I was very confused because I managed to remain closer to that source that we come in with. There are a myriad of forces and energies that push us in this late capitalist society into an assimilation that can take the magic away from us and and Mm. rob it from us in many ways. And it I was just confused for a long time until I realized, oh, you didn't, you don't have to return to it. You didn't, it, it didn't leave you. You didn't leave it. And that's been a different way of just being so close to it. I couldn't see it. And I'm relating in some sense to what you were just saying in that way. So going back to your path and your journey, I'd love to hear a little bit about some of these moments where you really felt that brush of spirit that you knew that the intention was being realized or that there was a moment of deliverance or a miracle, the prayer is answered or the breakthrough comes, your magical moment. Oh my gosh, so many. And I know that this might feel a little unrelatable to people, but we, when you get right down to it, you have small moments where the way a light hits a leaf in like golden hour in your favorite tree, that feels like magic or the little a glimmer at the out, just outside of your vision, just in your periphery. And you might think it's like a, a fairy or something just in the corner of your eye. And that feels like magic. It's hard for me to separate those moments from what we think as being witchy or magical. But there were, I think my earliest recollection is when I was a kid, I, I was telling people what their dreams meant. They would tell me these dreams that shocked them or stayed with them or unnerved them that woke them up in the middle of the night, which tends to be the case when you're doing, you remember a dream because it struck a chord with you for whatever reason. And when I was a kid, I thought I was like Joseph from the Bible, just interpreting dreams. Mm -hmm. I thought that everyone had that talent. And so that's my earliest recollection of telling people what that meant. There were various times when I was growing up, like when I felt a brush of something against my shoulder and looking back and seeing another child and they couldn't see me, but I could see them. And those were confirmation Although it's so funny that I like just last week, I was asking my dad about it and was like, is that, was that me? Was that just me? I was a kid. So I have a vivid recollection of what this was, but did you feel it too? Which he validated with me, which was really a a fun conversation between he and I. That is so interesting. I mean, first of all, it's really cool to be able to just speak with your parents about that because you often hear of these stories where the kids talk to their parents, gaslight them basically and say, no, you didn't see what you saw. So mm. what a gift to to be able to share that with him. And then the part you said about how you could see this ghost child, is that how you described it? Yeah. Uh-huh. But they didn't register you. That's really interesting. Yeah, it happens like that. And a lot of times now in my adulthood, I I work in my early adulthood, early on in my path, really claiming magic. I worked a lot to close the boundaries because it became very overwhelming in my teenage years. I just felt like everything felt so loud. So doing boundary work for me was really important. And coming back to what you were saying, of I've always had that through line. It's always been there. It's just knowing how to navigate it. That keeping of the spirits and many times I hear them and feel them before I see them now. What are some of the things that you do to maintain your magical boundaries? Ooh, I do many things. I've always said that the best defense is a good offense, but I do many things. I do lots of meditation and that's a portal to the psychic world, if you want to say it like that. 
but it's also much of the way that I do boundary work. I also do little things. I carry a mirror in my pocket. I carry salt with me, red thread. That's another one that I like to carry with me. And then in my car, I'll have like little rocks and pebbles and amulets that I like to carry with me as well. I love that you started with the meditation because I think so often on the path, people will reach outside of themselves for something. And in my teaching and in my guidance, I'm always gently steering back to self, let it begin and end with the self. And the meditation practice, especially with protection is key. And I remember teaching my stepkids when they were very little visualization exercises to ground themselves, put themselves in a protective bubble and just get that down as almost something that you do like breathing where you can just instantly conjure up that shield of protection and work with that. Absolutely. And you can use, I mean, the word that we used all the time when I was a kid was prayer because that's the language that we had for it. So pray, which I know that term is very loaded for people who are coming out of religious backgrounds, but I still use that method all the time. I mean, I think to me, that's a huge part of what witchcraft is that I don't need all of these superficial things. Of course, they're powerful and I don't want to diminish the power that they hold, but I also think that's like the key, the intention and the autonomy that I have over my own self and my own boundaries and my own body, my home and my family. I think that's chief. I agree, especially when one is working in these energetic realms. Oh, like you said, I always get that phrase backwards too, but the the best offense is a good defense. Yeah. Uh And keeping on a schedule of cleansing and clearing my space with the wheel of the year and I'll do the larger I have a really big old house (laughs) I can't clear this thing every day I do mentally clear it every day but I'll try to hit the whole space at least on the high holy days or around those portals Mm. and you know then on the waning tide I may focus a little bit more on what needs doing but Many people will be familiar with my concept of setting the energy alarm every night when I close the house down. I also do the shielding and envisioning work around the house. And I think that's just really important because I am conjuring a lot. Mm. I'm casting circles all the time and I'm calling spirit. And so I just want to have those layers in place. I want to go back to the word prayer because I agree with you that this can be a loaded word. And for me, I have a background. I was raised um, as a Catholic and I Mm. chose at about 12 to uh, not be confirmed. So I told my parents then and there that I wouldn't become an adult member of the church. And they were awesome about it. They really like Mm. set me free on my path and said, now, please go with our blessing, but we would suggest you find something that, that having that North Star, something to believe in in life just enriches your experience. And I agree with that very much. Mm. And so for me, when I was discovering that, oh, wow, like my proclivity towards the lunar cycle and, and plant medicine and crystals and all of these things means historically that, oh, yeah, there's like a, a category of people called witch. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's pretty cool. But I was, I would do a comparative process as one does. And I would think about spell work as being a prayer in motion. Ooh, I love that. Right. It's just, that's, I mean, it's just like what I'm doing or like a sculpture. I'm an artist. So it's like a spell. It's like a prayer as a sculpture or a happening even, but, and I'm, and I'm also, I have a theater background. So I, I think of the ritual aspect of theater is very rich territory there, but getting back to this, this origin place, when we're doing magic, when we have all these other trappings, we're raising energy. And where are you raising the energy? You're raising it in your body. So mm-hmm. when an actor is performing, they're raising that energy in their body in the confines of the ritual of the play. It's a ritual because it happens the same way, more or less. And so when I think about what does it mean to be a movement witch? Ever since uh-huh. I read that word, I was like, oh, I'm so intrigued by this. Back to this concept of a spell being a prayer in motion and and that bringing it into the body and, and and combining movement with it is like taking it even to the next level so talk to me about that I want to hear more 
Oh my goodness. Well, you hit the the nail right on the head. It's very much that of the ritual. It's also tapping into the way that magic is speaking through you. I think that the body is an incredible tool for being able to channel. And for me, that is like swimming in the depths and very layered thoughts. I always have this vision in my head of like little threads that are floating around trying to make connections to each other. And that doing that or allowing the body to move, if you were to say I'm moving in kind of a meditation or trance, people do this all the time. They just don't really know that they're doing it. (laughs) But at first it might feel really fragmented. It might feel like I'm tapping my foot here, or maybe I, my chest, my, my shoulders are shimmying. And then it stops. And then my my hips might sway in space and then it stops. And then eventually it starts to connect. That beating of my heel starts to connect to the movement in my hips, starts to connect to the movement in my back that ripples up through my arms and my shoulders. And then it starts to become something much bigger, right? The vibration and the energy is now speaking through me and I'm turning it into something physical as opposed to it being just ether or thought form as sometimes people say. And so then I imagine here at this point, one can build that energy and then direct that energy. Yeah, I do that all the time. It's very Karate Kid, very like Miyagi (laughs) in structure. When I'm leading someone else through it, I have to set the space. It has to be a safe space for them to be able to move because moving the body is so vulnerable. Being witnessed physically by someone else can be a very vulnerable thing. And so most of the time we start with really simple things like rubbing your hands together or just switching, shifting weight from one foot to the other or shifting forward and back on the foot or rolling the head and things like that will start to just automatically, I don't even have to cue it, but it starts to prompt this breath that happens very naturally. Automatically, someone might start to vocalize really subtly, little like that sort of thing will come forward. And then once we get going, say we've been going for a while and we've started to build this energy, we'll move it out through the body. I like to think of it sometimes like casting spells. I think that there is a movie I can't remember it. The name of it is, it's about a ballet, but she talks about spell work being directly connected to that movement. I, it's on the tip of my tongue and I can't remember the movie. Anyway, the other uh, thing that I will sometimes connect it to is Dragon Ball Z, that it's like an anime show from the nineties and they blast energy out through their hands. And so That's the way that I will blast energy out through the chest like a Care Bear, blast energy out through the feet as if you're taking off from the ground. Now let's make that smaller. Let's bring the energy back in, put it on like a wetsuit. So it's very close to the body and we're going to make this tighter and smaller and let's compact it into something very tiny. Yeah, it can happen very, it's really interesting being able to hold space for that because people will always have their the places where they really let go and then you'll watch as people really struggle to let themselves open up like that that it really highlights this kind of vulnerability in fact i saw it very often when i taught zumba it's really funny how that it's like a cheesy thing the the thing we all throw away because it feels one of those jane fonda tapes it's all these kind of small repetitive very simple movements lifting your knees in a single double kind of fashion but it's magic in the way that people start to move in joy and you get to watch their vulnerability melt away And you get to watch as people then recognize each other in that space. They meet their eyes and they can play with that energy and bounce it back and forth between them. It's a really amazing alchemy to be on a dance floor, to be moving like that and to be in that space of nonverbal communication Mm. with other people. And it is very vulnerable. As a very white person, I have seen like more than one wedding where I'm like, damn, white people really don't dance. But it's so, it's so cool because it's almost like a childlike thing. Like I'm not trying to be good at it. It's just coming out. I love that unrestrained being. In fact, that's a really great example. This was a couple of years ago. I was 
with a, a group of women and they were putting on an event called the Wild Women's Symposium. And it had its own issues. There was issues with appropriation and heteronormative speaking. It was very like exclusive to, I guess, yeah, it, it was very heteronormative. But they asked me if I would come and help to organize a party, like a, a party that they would have. It was like a three-day weekend sort of thing where you would have lots of classes on earth magic or spirituality, tarot, numerology, so on. Anyway, so the last night that we were present there, there was always a big party. And at this point, the event had gone on for several years, but they said, we just want somebody to be on top of this. We don't necessarily want embodiment practices, which is what they did in past years. And although that can be really liberating in its own way, and it definitely landed with those who needed it, I wanted to create a space where it felt like organic and that it just created a container for people to just be and let them ride the wave of the, the music and the energy. There's a really powerful energy that happens even in nightclubs. Everybody's, it's like this throbbing almost where the whole dance floor is moving in this synchronized way. And it's pretty cool. It looks like you know, its own living organism. But I, at one point during this event, the party was going, I think it was share over the loudspeaker and I just went in and, and I started dancing, right? I just let loose. The next morning, a friend came up to me and she said, the magic that you have is the willingness to be seen, which I, at the time, was like, wow, thank you so much. That's so kind. And the moment passed. And now I think that it's so powerful to be able to hold that space, but also like to give myself permission to unleash more because I didn't realize that my doing that was so impactful to someone on the outside. Absolutely. We need way showers and we need someone who is willing to go first. Mm. Yeah. And so often it's, it's that invitation back to something joyful that mm. many of us have been divorced from for various reasons that, yeah, we just, we need a leader. We need someone to do that. And it, it is as those things can be, it's innate to you and it's so powerful on the outside to someone who needs to be shown, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. And those make me think of the wedding too, because so often you just need someone to get that party started. Oh <laughs> yeah. Like the inhibitions are shed and then the joy really flows and then the magic. And I always think of it too, inside of that context of, of a sacred ceremony like a wedding that the dancing is a blessing on the union so for me I mm. feel like this is we have to do this we're getting this done <laughs> yes I found the name of the movie it's called Suspiria I think is how you say it it's from 1977 and they talk there's like a scene where they're in a room full of mirrors and they talk about movement never being mute it's a language it's a series of energetic shapes so I love that. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The The way shower is so powerful. There's like a great clip floating around the internet somewhere of, of a festival going on and the music playing. And there's just this dude like flailing around on the hill, just having the time of his life. And out of nowhere, there's people start running up and joining this like flailing group of bodies, which is so great. You could tell that they're having just the most wonderful time. But I mean, if it wasn't for that one person allowing themselves to just be free, it never would have happened. So think of that when you when we need to get the party started or we need to move that energy, get up there and, and shake a tail feather. It really shifts so much. And it's terrifying. There are times where it feels really in that moment at the Wild Women Symposium, I wasn't thinking or battling with myself. It just felt very natural. But there are other times like on social media, it, it tends to sometimes feel like I'm putting things out into this massive void. And so I question myself all the time. But then I get really sweet people messaging me and saying, oh man, that really resonated with me or that really hit a chord. And I needed to hear that. And that is the piece that helps me keep going. Like the, it's helped me understand faith or yeah, I guess faith in a different way. 
Yes, it makes me think of something my mom would say about how we really never know how we touch one another. And that really informed me along the way that I think we belong to each other in a different way that we, our life is, of course it's ours, but it doesn't just belong to us. And yeah, so sometimes that will be a motivator for me when I feel vulnerable, but when it's safe to, to move beyond that boundary. When mm. I think yeah, I need to push past this a little bit because we are in this really interesting moment of back to that way shower of coming into our own fully as these modern people who are reclaiming our spiritual practices that are indigenous to our ancestors, that are in many cases pre-Christian. And it's it's scary. It's there is a there is a witch wound there that we must sometimes move past in order to be visible in that way. But I do also have faith in that process that when I'm willing to show up, when I, when, especially when I'm like very much called to do it, that it's intended for others. Yes. As much as me and letting the magic flow through us as well. Like sometimes my action is going to be what completes the circuit for someone else. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're connected and very much in this transitionary period between the ages of moving from that Piscean age into the Aquarian age. And we're witnessing what it means to be an individual in contrast to a collective. Oh, yeah. Um, The pandemic has really put that light on what our actions as individuals, like what the potential is, right? Like at the very beginning of the pandemic, when we were all still wondering if this whole thing was real or to 14 days to flatten the curve, that whole thing, we were really shown how impactful one person's small decision would be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we're right at this kind of, it's artificial because I think that the lockdowns began for different people at different times. It was sort of Mm. calling like the 11th of March, the official date, the 12th today that we're recording this. And yeah, (laughs) to hear you say 14 days to flatten the curve just makes my head spin. I know. What is time? It's just flown by. (laughs) (laughs) I have gone from saying Groundhog's Day to Groundhog Week. (laughs) I keep referencing 2020 as or 2019 as if it was last year. Like I'm still in this kind of middle space. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah, it's a, oh, it's a time. All right. Oh, yeah. Living through history is wild. I'm having my progressed moon right now in Pisces. I'm so grateful for that because I'm like, I'm cool with this situation. I'm fine (laughs) by myself right now. (laughs) Oh man, it was, I'm a pretty, I would say a pretty outgoing person. And so this has been difficult for me. I let go of my class schedule so that I could homeschool my kids, which has been a blessing and a curse at the same time. (laughs) My heart goes out to the mom as I can't even imagine my stepkids are grown and flown and I but if I was yeah like what women have been asked to give up right now is ridiculous yeah it's I saw statistics that said something like two million women are out of the workforce right now wow yeah heavy duty so back to these small ways we show up for each other in service in our social media I really think that they have huge impact and so I just want to give a shout out to the moms Mm. (laughs) right here and now Lots of love to the nurturers and the caretakers in the home because it's more than just the moms. Yeah, Um, and shout out to the teachers too because dang. I mean, not that I didn't respect them before, but I respect them a whole lot more now. Absolutely. And I'm thinking ahead in a magical sense to what we're going to need when we're on the other side of this. We're still in it and we can't analyze trauma while we're still in it. We're still trying to get through to... Mm actual safety and we're not there yet but looking ahead to what we're all gonna need is lots of a lot of healing a lot of love and writing the edge of joy I think is another place where it's like a different form of shadow work especially when we've been in it for so long Mm. that to come out and reclaim joy again 
I think that if we try to do that through our headspace, we're going to probably frustrate ourselves. So some joyful dancing and some witch movement might be in order. Well, if I were to come to you and say, write me a prescription for movement, for joy in a magical sense. Oh my goodness. I don't goodness. know if clients do that, but like on the fly here, would you be willing to like riff with me and come up with kind of a, a ritual and movement ritual for this? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's different from day to day. So start small and give yourself a little bit of compassion because sometimes, for example, when I'm training in, on any given day, it might take me an hour to get my head to, to be on board with what my body wants to do or vice versa. So what I'll say first is just drop into your body and just feel what you're feeling. Breathe into the big spaces, fill your belly, and if it feels good to sigh out. And maybe you just give yourself a a big hug at first. My niece does this adorable thing where she wraps her arms around her shoulders And that's how she gives hugs right now in this age of a pandemic. But I think that is, I mean, I'll even do that in my yoga classes. Just give yourself, like cradle yourself, right? Is that not like what shadow work is reparenting ourselves where we might not have been met before? So just doing that first might be powerful medicine and all you need. Mm. I'm doing it right now. Isn't it lovely? It does. It just feels really good. My heart is like, sighing and this oh I really I know and I so this is good this is like a a a smaller movement or a micro movement I wanted to talk a little bit too if we can also for ideas for folks who may not have full mobility oh that's a great question great question I'm always working in the awareness of small muscles and small engagements and small letting go for example when I'm training someone with their back bends I might say now tense the muscles in your neck like a child who's flaring their neck muscles and trying to do that thing where they you know like a lizard they flare their neck muscles out flare them and tense them and bite down into your jaw feel that and sit with that tenseness and now relax relax. And that doesn't take anything or tucking my chin to flare or to feel that tenseness in my neck or squishing the muscles in my forehead or my scalp or biting down and my squeezing my lips together. Those small movements, you can feel the, the opposite of them, right? I love to play with contrast in the body. Flare the hands, look down and feel the skin between your fingers stretching look at the width of your palms and look at the lines, notice them, and then ball them up into fists and hold that fist. Maybe hold the breath while you're at it. Things like that. And that's not like unique to me. Those are meditation practices that I learned early on in in when I began uh, taking and teaching yoga was to go body part by body part and hold the tension there and really localize it there with your mind too and then let it go. Yeah. My dad used to do that with me at night when I couldn't sleep. A man mm. at time, he would go through my whole body with me and tell me to tense it and release it and tense it and release it. And then he would also say that I could just imagine doing that and it would have the same effect. And so I'm curious yeah. about that. I've heard people too say, I, I practice Tai Chi and you can do the routine in your mind and that will get your flow of chi going I'm just the same so I'm curious what you think about that like what are your thoughts on mentally going through the routines oh I love doing that I think that's really powerful too in yoga there's a type of yoga called yoga nidra which is not moving at all you are lying in whatever comfortable position you can stay in or sitting in whatever comfortable position but we know this in magical practices, we often hear it as being called journeying or trance work. It's essentially the same thing. But, you know, often in a yoga nidra, you might call on certain parts of the body and you ask them to feel heavy. And then you ask them to feel like nothing as if they're dissolving. Many times I'll use the metaphor of the mountain in my visualizations with meditation or floating up. I use, I love to work in the sky and outer space. So lots of times I'll have people stretching and expanding to mirror space. Yeah. It depends on my intention, but I think that's really powerful too. And that is like limitless, really. It's only as limited as your imagination is. Mm -hmm. 
I love that because I think it's helpful to know the names of things and to understand the similarities of practices, not to substitute them for one another, but to understand what the action is, what the mechanism mm. is. So to have that framed up as, okay, this is similar to transport or journey that mm -hmm. puts it into context for the listeners. I want to talk a little bit about card reading and doing spreads like that. For me, it is very much a physical experience when I pull cards. I open the chakras in my hands, open and close your hands quickly, and mm. you'll feel that tingling. And so that's my, how I get my picker <laughs> warmed mm -hmm. up. And I feel with that hand chakra over the cards, or even if I'm doing it on my phone, because I do a lot of tarot cards on my phone, I will not lie. I think it's great to have them in a pinch, but I'll just wait for this little feeling in my palm. And there's two different kinds of feelings. There's the feeling of imprinting the question and that's, I can sense a release mm -hmm. and I know that message is, is sent. And then there's like the, the, the choosing and that's more of, I can't think of the way to describe it. It almost feels like a stroking of that palm. Yeah. Um, and I know that's the card to pull. So I'm just curious about in your working with your intuition and with your psychic knowing it does that come for through for you in a physical sense or how does it work with you and how do you develop the muscles of your intuition oh yeah it does feel very physical for me I feel either like a string as if I've got like a thread underneath my skin like the top layer of my skin and I feel like a pulling from that place or I feel a, a sensation a lot of times when you're holding two magnets together and they do that thing where they're opposing they're like repelling each other mm -hmm. I feel that I feel that a lot too when I'm like how can I say this when I've walked into a place where I am not matched in energy. I feel that like repelling, which I will, I now I'm much more practiced in it and I just turn right around and I go the opposite direction. But yeah, the intuition piece, developing that intuition is, I always will tell people that you don't need me. I'm just reading the symbols, right? Like these, the cards act as a mirror. So I'm just advising you to be as clear as you can be on whatever your question is so that I can just read back whatever's there. But ultimately, like you don't need me. I always tell people to start with meditation and meditation in a very simple way of maybe you just start by counting to 10. Maybe you just start with counting 10 breaths and then just see what your brain feels like. And that's it. Just observe what happens. As you get more comfortable, I always describe it as this kind of floating place, like between sleeping and waking. And I say, that's the really fun, that's the playground that you want to get to. But it starts small. That developing of intuition, it has to be a process of trust building, like trusting yourself because that kind of rigidity of, and we all do it. We all say, well, did I just make that up? Or did I, am I speaking from a place of bias? What is this thing? I must just be logicking this in a different way. But, but yeah, it's very small, granular piece by granular piece. I agree. And I think it takes just, uh, it, there's an ingredient in there called time. Mm -hmm. Learn to observe pay attention. Often it comes up in the moment of, oh, I didn't listen to myself. Mm -hmm. Oh, I had this little niggling thing in the back of my head and I ignored it. And now I understand what that was. So sometimes it, it comes through the moment of failure where we understand and that's the learning. And when I, I used to tell my kids, when you lose, don't lose the lesson. Oh so yeah. The same Hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. So that does actually bring up another subject I am curious about. Sometimes we backfire. Sometimes we put out an intention and we keep going for it, even though we might get a manner of information that it's not for our highest good, or maybe it's not for us, but we override that because we're humans and we have desires. And I certainly have my cautionary tales of, whoops, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. But I'm just curious if you have any cautionary tales that you're willing to share. 
Oh, I have lots of stories. I have stories that are my own and stories with friends of mine or family members of mine who've had adverse things happen to them. My first thing I would say is always be intentional. I can't stress enough how important it is for a person to be clear-headed about what their intention is. Because, I mean, in the classic example that I like to use is the Ouija board. The classic example, because we've all heard of or seen this in movies, whatever, but, you know, this is the fun thing that we do at sleepovers with our friends just to see what happens. Oh, my goodness. No. Yeah. And it's not even that I think that the Ouija board itself is the problem. It's that we open the door to whatever and see what will come through. Well, it'll come through. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a sleepover. It was a Saturday afternoon after shopping when I was yeah. 13 with a pack of girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a story for another time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's that. And yeah, being this kind of goes hand in hand with intentionality, but like people love, especially now that we have social media, which I, that could be in its, its own discussion, but the spread of information and how much people want to experiment with spell work, I would say to a person that you should always practice discernment when you're working with spells because it tends to manifest in a way that you don't expect. Yeah. So be very again, very intentional about what you're doing. Don't let it be about reactivity. That's so many times people will use spell work as a reaction to something. And that's when we get careless, I have found. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, it is. When we are, when one is faced with the crossroads of maybe needing to do hex work or go in a darker, well, I don't know if I want to call it that. If one is faced with a choice of having to decide to do hex work or not, mm-hmm. I always say that it is a choice of last resort. Yes. I think that, I mean, and I heard, I think it was, oh shoot, now I can't remember who it was. I heard them say this on Instagram and I thought it was very true. They spoke about using hexes and curses as a means of justice rather than a means of vengeance, because those are two very different energies, but we have to be open to that justice looking different than what we think should happen. Mm, Yes. Right. So it's not what my decision of justice should be if we're going to give it to what is highest or what comes from our highest self and their highest self. That justice might look a lot different than if it's some something coming out of me having a grudge, things yeah. like that. I hear my mom saying in my ear, vengeance is mine alone, saith the Lord. There are definitely some of those things I still hold on to from my Catholic upbringing that I think are really important. And when we're dealing with these supercharged emotions uh, that tend to fall on the negative side of the spectrum or the less comfortable side of the spectrum. Yes, be certain that one is not operating out of a wounded place or of a brittle ego place. And it's hard to tell sometimes. It is hard to tell sometimes and make sure you do all your other work, do your work. But yeah, like it's a last resort. And also I always say, because sometimes people get very self-righteous about this. I I really hope you are never in a position to have to make that decision. Yeah, there's always, there's a saying in Spanish, it goes, si te pica, te aplica. That means if it stings you, it applies to you. Ah. (laughs) And I find that to be extremely, I mean, which is to say that the old adage that if it's triggering to you, then it's your own shadow that needs looking at, right? Which comes back to what you were saying about doing the work. I always need to sit with this for a while. So I know that I'm not making this decision out of reactivity. Yeah. Do the mundane things. Do all of the mundane things. Do the spiritual healing work. If you want to apply magic to a situation that is something that's not desirable or unwanted, work on removing maybe the sting from yourself first. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And there's the other part of that is that you're creating an energetic tether to them with that anger. You'll almost like you're giving energy to this outside entity, if you want to call it an enemy or whatever, almost makes it bigger. So sometimes the best thing that you can do is just cut a cord if that's the kind of ritual that you like or Olympia or something like that that just mm-hmm. makes it so that your energy is no longer feeding that yeah it calls to mind the hex work that people were doing at the beginning of the Trump administration and mm-hmm. there was like a lot of media attention around this a lot of stories were written and for me I always felt like 
I have zero desire to ever get anywhere near that individual in this three-dimensional space, let alone on astral planes. No mm-hmm. effing way. I'm staying mm-hmm. the hell away from that dude. More power to anybody else who wants to take that up. But for me, I knew that wasn't the right choice. And I made that decision. And then I came across some interesting commentary, maybe reading one of these articles about members of the Golden Dawn at the end of the Second World War, who as a last resort in, you know, during the Blitz in London, were doing magic to stop the the Nazi air raids and to end the war. Mm-hmm. And within a year, they were all deceased after the war ended. They wow. all passed. And it was like, it was Crowley and Dion Fortune and maybe even Gardner in that mix. I can't remember. I wish I could. Uh, maybe I'll look for that article and put it in the show notes if I can find it. But I just thought, you know what? Like nothing's free. So mm-hmm. that's just, I, I regard that as a sacrifice that those magicians made a sacrifice. Yeah. And so just to be mindful of that. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny that you say that. Cause we were, my kids and I were watching Fantasia earlier today and they love the sorcerer's apprentice and that I told them, I said, everything has a price. Just like you said, you can't be just thinking that you can use this to fit your own agenda without knowing the consequences. And that's probably another thing that I um, would say to someone just starting out is it sounds like gatekeeping and that's not what I mean, but I am saying that this is like the asterisk over here. Like there are consequences and there are very real exchanges that you have to make when you're doing stuff like this. So with that said, practice wisely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Practice wisely and a little bit goes a long way. Yes, definitely. I love Imolk. It's just a really special portal on the wheel of the year. And I remember in my baby witch lit days, I did this really intense fire ritual at my altar. Mm-hmm just like burning up all the things I wanted to remove from my life. <laughs> it's like everything, just throwing it all in the cauldron. And within a week, my house almost burnt down. Ah, so much it, heat. Just too much, just too much. And it was just like a crazy, silly, bizarre thing. I Someone came in and <laughs> it was an old farmhouse that didn't have very much counter space. And they set a boom box on the stove. Oh my, oh my gosh. And someone else came along to turn the tea kettle on. And it was one of those weird stoves where you were always messing up which burner you were turning on. It just Mm. wasn't intuitive. And they turned the burner on that the boom box was underneath. Went away. And then someone else walked in the room and there's a, there's like a dual cassette tape player on the stove with a giant column of flame shooting out of the middle of it. And I'm guessing it was like a gas stove, one of those older stoves that feels very like... thank God it was an electric stove. Yeah. (laughs) Well, at least there's that. Yeah, yeah. So fortunately, disaster was averted. I have made, I have played with, yeah, a couple times. I have had some almost fire accidents, I will just say, and some is even recently as a few years ago, so... That's the other thing too, is just be careful. I mean, yes, the magic, but also use your head. Don't be doing silly things. Make sure you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And those old adages, there's, there, there may be a little bit more ancestral wisdom in them we are aware of. If you play with fire, you might just get burned. So, and mm. be careful what you wish for. It might just come true. Like this is very true. We have to be so careful with how we wield our intention, but it's not to say that we're not allowed to be co-creators in our life, but because we are many of us, so many of us are not in ancestral traditions here. These are not things that were handed through our lineages to us. I think we have an extra burden to make sure that we fully initiate ourselves in our practices through Mm. like really rigorous knowledge and training so that we can walk around with it in our bones. And we do have, have earned our birthright to it. Yes. I love that you say that. I think that it's really important. I mean, that's the the kind of where the magic meets 
the more like knowledge, right, logical piece of like, now we have to do our homework. Now it has to not just be this feeling in my body, but I have to integrate it with what I know. And part of that is like what you're saying, that deep learning and birthright. I love that you bring up that this isn't something that was in our lineages. I think that's a huge thing that we need to look at within spiritual communities on the whole, but like witchcraft and Wiccan and things like that, where we are suddenly just adopting practices because somebody talked about it on the internet. And we, I laugh because Wiccan is always the classic example that comes to mind of, okay, but this used to be a closed practice and it has very like traditional set ways. And then it's somewhere along the line turned into this kind of anyone can come in, it's free and we just do whatever we want and that sort of thing. Or even just if you really want to get in on the spectrum of cultural appropriation and closed practices, and that can all be really tricky, but it's it takes that time and investment and openness to learning. 100%. And for me, I think I was really lucky that when I began my work in the 90s, when I started to, once I had my awakening and realized, oh, hey, I'm a witch. And there were, there was one book in particular I remember reading that sort of laid out all of these different kinds of traditions and one of them being the eclectic witch, which mm-hmm. was basically like the grab bag approach, which I think <laughs> gave way to so many problematic situations here that yeah. we're facing down these many years later. But the one piece of advice that was good in that book was to go back to your own ancestral ways, go back to your lineage, go back to what hopefully one is able, is blessed to know where you come from, yeah. or who your people are, and to go back and, and find out what's there. And as a person of European descent, I was like, okay, I'll, I, I will try to learn what I can about these pre-Christian traditions and and what was going on there and so I started and it's I'm I've been learning for 20 years and I still don't really know a whole lot you know oh my gosh the culture is so rich and deep and I keep trying to prod my dear husband he's never really had a a great interest in knowing his roots he just says I'm the generic white guy and that's been enough for him but he has so much genealogy it goes back all the way till his relatives are like Bart the Black or something like that and very far in Wales and in that country and I have ancestry there too I'm it's hard to get a hold of it with immigration papers and all of that stuff but on the other side on my other on my dad's side I've been really lucky because He's Mexican, and Mexicans, for all of the ways that they've adopted Catholicism, and it's a very Christian country, it's always walked hand in hand with mysticism, the superstitions and the old adages and the way that your your abuelita will take you by the hand and tell you not to mess with this or that thing. So I didn't have a close relationship with my grandparents, but I was always really lucky that my dad never really let go of that, even though he's a very devout Mormon man. Yeah, he was the first one who gave me, or rather, I bought my first tarot deck, which is another misconception that you have to be given your first tarot deck. But he was the one who came down and I thought he was just going to kill me. I was playing with my two, my best friend and my boyfriend at the time and just fooling around with the cards. But he came down and was like, what are you guys doing? I thought he was going to just whoop me right there, but he took my deck and gave us all readings. I was astounded. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a great moment because it opened up this like other vein that now we could relate to each other on another level. And that's always been a special thing, even though sometimes I still struggle trying to navigate his religious self and also his mystical self. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. I can relate to a lot of what you're saying because of the Irish Catholic component. It's very similar Mm. that a lot of the folk traditions and mythology and other things were I would say, I mean, it's hard to say they were kept alive because they weren't. They were definitely like perverted, but they were carried through. And Mm -hmm. my dad was the one who explained all that to me and told me what the Celtic cross meant and so on and so forth. So, yeah, and thinking about the the strange things I did get to witness my grandmother do. um, (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> I was just like, what is this about? But yeah, it's a strange thing how, even though I think in a, it, those, the, the Irish and the way that they were colonized by the British and, and the Catholic Church, there's two kinds of major supplantation going on there. I think these people who throughout history have been in those positions they were crafty. We're, we're scrappy as human people. We find a way to carry it through. We find a way to pass it along, to keep something of it intact and share it. Yes. I Have you ever read The Mists of Avalon? Oh, yes, I have. Oh, my goodness. That's one of my favorites. I always come back to that. But it, it's essentially... With more of what you're saying that it just has to change it transforms over time because it wants to survive and we need it too right it it where it's this handshake from the other side that we're able to keep it going but it has to transform in order to survive right and knowledge migrates and we as a species are migratory and things do cross pollinate and so sometimes i find there's just not enough context around some of our discussions about spiritual and cultural appropriation because oh, we're yeah. it's real messy up in these internet streets these days trying to figure all of this stuff out i mean um, even if we had a conversation just before the age of the internet like the creation of our folk magic right think about like appalachian folk magic mm-hmm. or magic in the southwest where it's many of it's just indigenous peoples and their traditions becoming melded in and that's what i love that personally i love folk magic because mm-hmm. it's this by the people for the people thing that transforms but it is it's hard to walk that line you accidentally end it end up adopting something that wasn't yours and deserves more reverence that you might be. A lot of us don't know what we don't know. And so it's a process of course correcting. Yes. And I think that I hold a very liberal view about who is entitled to learn and know things, but we, we witness people convert to Judaism or Catholicism or Mormonism. People convert to religions all the time. Hmm. But they go through a rigorous process in order to do that. They go through an initiation. Oh, yes, that's the word. I love that. Oh, I think that the piece that I've always held on to is, or the people that I look to are almost like the hermit type of person of, I don't necessarily want this responsibility. Like I am a teacher and I understand that my role as a healer is often a solitary one. I don't want the televangelist person. I don't, I'm very like wary of the people who put themselves on a pedestal with all of the answers. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And we need to be extremely discerning about that. Uh, God complexes are just everywhere. (laughs) They are everywhere. They are an outgrowth of all of what we're dismantling right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then we have like weird infiltration of QAnon in our space as well, which is like, what? How did this happen? That when that was going on this summer, I thought that, I mean, I was stunned. I was shocked. I was appalled. I was disgusted. And now I'm just horrified and a bit scared about it all. But yeah, (laughs) like we have to speak out against it because it's definitely infiltrated in our space. And I find it going hand in glove a lot of times with those God complex people that pedestalize themselves. Yes. Clearing. I'm doing magic on clearing that. Yeah, that's a place where I struggle to really, and like I said before, like social media can be such a battle. I always am like a little scared of taking on like influencer roles or something like that, because I don't want to, I don't profess to have all the answers. I've just done my due diligence on Google too. (laughs) But yeah, that can be a really tricky thing because on one hand, I do think that I have things to share. And I think that many people have things to share. And that's what I love about social media is that it's such a great connector, but it also can amplify the people, even if we're like talking about it in terms of algorithm, the people who say it often enough and loudly enough are often the people who get the attention. Or who can buy the influence. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's a question of like, how, what is my place? What is my role in this big structure that I'm sharing? And am I enabling it? It's, it can be hard sometimes to know where that line is. Well, it's just like magic. We can use our power for good or for evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah, the internet, what did I hear a quote recently? It was like, the internet is an amazing place for people to make fools of themselves. Basically. <laughs> um, I, def- I definitely have done my fair share of that and sometimes on purpose and other times not. Yeah, I mean, it's like the self-aware fool versus the non-self-aware one. And I think the archetype of the fool is there's nothing wrong with that. We need the fool to break barriers. But yeah, it's a tricky and dicey proposition. And And when we're talking about people to follow and people to learn from. Uh, Again, always practice discernment. I'm very grateful that one of my teachers really taught me as a cornerstone of anything I do. And and this will, it's a counterintuitive thing to say, but humility is a huge part and understanding that I am a channel for what comes through me. It does Mm -hmm. not really originate from me necessarily. Yes. It's not coming from me, it's coming through me. Yes. Inflate or facilitate, then that's, that, that might be my gift, but otherwise I'm just a conduit. Yeah. There's a great, one of the guys in my book club who he spoke recently about, yes, this creativity, this outlet, this, all of the things that I'm saying are not me. They are the genius, right? Like that mythical shoulder angel creature thing that we associate with, oh, this little piece of genius came through me, but it wasn't mine. I love that. That's really fun. And it it calls to mind too, that open-endedness of the spell working when I will say at the end, you know, this or something better, because Mm. the universe usually has something better in mind than what my limited perspective might be. The other caveat I'll throw in sometimes is may this not reverse or come back upon me in any other way, just as a Mm. side note. But yeah, it's like a dance. It, again, back to the metaphor of dance. To me, it's a dance with this energy and it's a dance with the primal and mysterious force of it all. So Angie, I have a question for you. Yes. What, what is magic and, and how does it work? Oh my goodness. How does it work? By deciding to engage with it. It happens when you open your eyes to witness and magic is everything and everywhere that sounds cheesy but it's in everything it's the first breath and the last breath and the suspension between yeah it's the knowing and the not knowing and it's the everything and the nothing (laughs) magic is all and nothing I love that yeah I mean it's really challenging to define this because the more I ask the question of myself and other people it just becomes more and more of this primal mystery that is everything and unexplainable. (laughs) Yeah, it's the all, but it also feels very real. I feel it all the time. Even in just like a gaze, the lady at Target that you strike up a conversation with that feels like a kindred spirit, that's magic. Right, right. It's I, I loved that you brought the word witness in because I think that's so much a part of it. It's noticing because it is all it's there. And so it's that stepping up to notice, stepping up to be the co-creator with it. And it's also to me very much about play. The oh, call yeah. And response of it all. Call and response is a perfect way of saying it. I often say that when you're wanting to engage with anything, whether that's spirit, a specific spirit or spirit, the big spirit, it's like asking someone out to coffee. Like, I want to be your friend and just asking the question without expectation, an invitation to something greater, something that you want to connect with. I love that. Yeah. And it's just like the start of a relationship that you can cultivate Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it will wane and it will wax. It will feel stronger at some times and other times you absolutely hate it. And it's all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this has been such a delightful conversation. I'm so grateful for uh, the time that you've come to speak with me and my listeners and share your really excellent perspectives. If people are looking to find you online, where is the best place for them to locate you? I love to play on Instagram. And so my website is linked there, but I am at birdgirl, instagram.com slash birdgirl, B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore birdgirl, like the Antony and the Johnsons song. But you can find me there and yeah.
Yes, and you want to make sure to follow Angie on Instagram because her feed is totally inspirational and your stories are fantastic. You are really generous with the way you share your personality and your unique light, and I love getting to witness it. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Do you have anything um, coming up that you want to tell folks about in the year 2021? No, it's funny because now I I had all of these things and I've through 2020 realized that maybe it's time to sit and figure out what my next step is. I've had all these tools in my tool belt and I've accessed them at different times. And right now I'm like, maybe it's time to give those tools to someone else and we're going to figure figuring out place right now. That resonates. I'm, I'm hearing that a lot. Mm. And that makes sense. Yeah. So I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, please do. All right, friends. So definitely check Angie out on Instagram. And if you have any questions for either of us, share them in the comments and we'll answer them for you. Yeah. Thank you again, Angie, so much for being on Just Like Magic. Thank you so much, Erin. Garden season is in full swing, friends, and it is time for me to shake a tail feather and get out there. Even though it's been a long, cold spring, it's time to get going. I've been teaching garden magic now for years. Even I need a refresher course. If you're interested in learning how to organize your chores by the stars and your planting by the phases of the moon, you'll definitely want to learn my system of garden magic. So check out gardenmagicwithak.com and sign up today to lock in your low price. Thanks, friends, and happy planting.